This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 28th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Well, the great stories, they just keep on coming. And last week's episode was no exception. Imagine being Jane Grody Abel as a little girl, growing up in a family business that's so well run that McDonald's comes along and wants to buy it. And then, four years later, the Grody family decided to buy it back. Well, that was last week's conversation with Jane Grody Abel, Donato's chairwoman and founding family member, and we thank her so much for sharing all her lessons learned. Today I present another inspiring tale of a young kid, no, two young kids, that went to high school together, remained friends through college, then began a junk business that took off right from the start. This story would be about college hunks hauling junk, and how Nick Friedman and his partner Omar Solomon rode the wave of knowledge and information they learned from reading Michael E. Gerber's E-Myth Revisited. During this interview, Nick will tell you that it was this book that transformed his point of view from working in his business to working on it and morphed college hunks from a business that saw the two founders doing everything from answering phones to driving the truck and collecting trash into an enterprise of 400-plus franchise territories and growing, and get this, delivering $300 million in system-wide sales in 2021. Nick Friedman joins me in two minutes or less, right here on Franchise Today. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, franchisors of restaurants, bars, grills, and taverns, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. Atmosphere TV wants to help you cut costs on overpriced cable TV for your business and either replace it completely or partially if sports programming is essential at your locations. What Atmosphere TV provides are 100% free programming options with more than 50 channels of highly engaging and entertaining programming that is audio optional and guaranteed to please your customers and even increase their average ticket per visit. So here's how it works. Atmosphere hooks you up with an Apple TV HD receiver loaded with more than 50 channels of fully licensed, no cost to you, fun and lifestyle programming. These channels include Chive and Red Bull TV. TV, bloopers, superhuman feats, and an array of viewing options that don't require sound to be enjoyed. And this offer is not just limited to restaurants or bars. No, any business with a TV screen in its waiting room can benefit from Atmosphere's free programming offer as well. So what are you waiting for? Cut the cord on overpriced cable and get Atmosphere TV with its 100% free, engaging, and entertaining programming options. Keep your guests happy while they wait to see you. Instead of watching the clock and their wait times, chiropractors, doctors, dentists, auto 
repair shops, anyone with TVs in your waiting rooms, jump onto this amazing offer today. And if you text the word FRANCHISE to 474747, Atmosphere will waive the $100 setup fee for the Apple TV HD receiver that they'll ship to you as well at no cost. Atmosphere TV, changing the way businesses view television. Find them online at atmosphere.tv. And remember, text FRANCHISE to 474747 for the no-charge Apple receiver. Cut the cord and get rid of cable today with Atmosphere TV. So, anyone listening knows what a fan I am of Michael E. Gerber and the E-Myth. But what's amazing to me is I've known Nick Friedman for more than 15 years, and I had no idea that it was Gerber and E-Myth that actually inspired him to scale College Hunks. Well, he's here right now, and he's going to tell us all about it. Listen. Nick Friedman, welcome to Franchise Today. What's going on, Stan? Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And although the names are the same, no no blood relation, at least that we know of, but <laughs> my, my favorite franchise guys from the very beginning. We've had a lot of fun talking that talk for years, haven't we, with Matt Friedman, you, me, and Phil Friedman, all of us franchisors, and neither of us or any of us related in any other way, but here we are. Yeah, I, I think we still, we joked about it at one time doing the, the Friedman franchise for something like that. Uh, there's still still some potential there at some point. Well, we'd have to become lawyers and just become Friedman, Friedman, and Friedman or something like that, right? Exactly. (laughs) Lawyers or accountants. Well, you've done too well being a franchisor to make those kinds of changes at this stage in life. It's been way too long. In fact, it's been four kids ago since you and I connected. We just kind of ascertained that in the green room a minute ago. But we've got to go back even further than that to get the story told today. So I'm going to ask you to do what I ask my guests to do each and every week, and that's tell us when franchisors franchising found you and how that looked? What was it that brought you and franchising together? Yes. So I'll go back even a little bit before that. College Hunks Hauling Junk started when Omar and I were in college. Omar and I had gone to high school together and we were buddies through high school into college. And his mom had this beat up cargo van that she let us borrow from her furniture store and credit her with the name. She said, you know, you guys could be like college hunks who haul junk. So we just put flyers around town and the phone started ringing. People thought the name was catchy and we thought we were onto something. But when we first started the business, we were doing all the work ourselves. So I always tell the story. We were driving the truck, hauling the junk, answering the phone. We had the 800 number on the back routed to our cell phone. So anytime somebody would call the 800 number to complain about driving, inevitably one of us would be actually in the driver's seat answering the phone, apologizing, pretending like we were going to fire those guys when they got back to the office. So we We were burning ourselves out and a mentor of ours recommended that we read this book called The E Myth revisited by a guy named Michael Gerber, which I know you're very familiar with. And of course, the key message in that book is to scale and grow. You've got to learn how to work on the business, not just in the business. You've got to create systems and processes for the business to be able to grow. And that was like a big light bulb hit us in the face and said, you've got to get off the truck. You've got to stop answering the phone. You've got to stop loading the junk yourself if you're going to ever have a successful business. And so we started creating systems and processes. And one of the things that Michael Gerber talks about in his book is this sort of franchise revolution where even if you're not going to franchise your business, you need to develop systems and processes so that the business can scale so it can function without you as the founder being the one pulling all the levers or in our case, answering the phone, driving the truck, calling the junk. And that word franchising kind of stuck out to us. And we started doing some investigation and, and learning a little bit about it. And I'll be honest with you, at the time, we probably had a more glamorized view of what it was going to be like in the franchise space. So it sounded like really exciting to us. Oh, royalty 
royalties, passive income. We're doing all this hard work. Maybe if we can sell franchises, other people will do the hard work. Well, of course, we know that's nothing like franchising. It's an expansion and, and growth and capitalization strategy to help provide a business opportunity to others while also developing a brand in a, in a larger marketplace. And so we kind of learned all those things. The hard way it was a steep learning curve. We joined the IFA, started going to events and breakout sessions and roundtables and, and learning from franchise executives like yourself and podcasts like these. And we just became really students of franchising and soaking it all up to say, hey, there's a formula for this. Let's apply that formula to our business model. And I like to say that was been a 15 year overnight success since those early days. What brought Omar and you together? How did that look? <laughs> well, we joke, we actually met in detention in high school and we were troublemakers in high school, you know, good playful trouble. But I think we got in trouble for running on the football field after a game because our team had won and, and we had been told not to do that. But we did it anyway because we wanted to celebrate like you see on ESPN. And so so that's how we ended up meeting and became just kind of buddies through high school and college. And I had always been brought up to follow that more traditional career path. You work hard in school, get great, good grades, get a degree and climb the corporate ladder. And I think Omar came from a little bit more of an entrepreneurial background with his mom having owned a furniture store. So they were a little bit more encouraging of the entrepreneurial path. And it sounded exciting and interesting to me. And we've been great friends ever since, continued our friendship and been able to help complement each other from a business partnership ship as well. So what year was it when you read the E-Myth? And was that actually the birth of the franchise concept? Or had you been underway already beginning the idea of franchising when you read it? No, I, re I really do credit the E-Myth for being sort of the birth of our franchise expansion plans and, and aspirations. We had written a business plan when we were in college in 2004. And then when we graduated in 04 is when we started the business full time. We probably read the E-Myth in 05 or 06. And we began franchising officially, sold our first franchise in 2008. So that was kind of the evolution in the first early years of the business. But I, you know, I think in our business plan, we had maybe mentioned franchising as a future growth opportunity when we first had our business idea, but it was, we didn't even know really what that even meant. But the e-myth is what really brought it into focus and what prompted us to start looking into the resources on the internet. And that's how we stumbled across the International Franchise Association, which we had never heard of at the time. Uh, and we were able to get involved and start attending some seminars about how to franchise your business. And, you know, we probably made a lot of early mistakes too and did things a little bit prematurely in terms of launching the franchise. But but the email really was sort of that initial catalyst for us going down that path to expand. So today, how many are we? How many units? And of course, now we're multi-branded as well, correct? Yes. Uh, so today we have just over 200 franchise owners, individual franchise owners, which accounts for a little over 400 territories that are included in our system. We're going to do close to 300 million in system-wide revenue this year. And our brand is College Hunks Hauling Junk and Moving. So it's a junk removal and moving service. It's, it's sort of a dual brand, but it's it's combined into one FDD. So we do have some franchises that will either offer junk removal or moving. And then we have some that offer both. And then we also have a non-franchise company we launched a few years ago called Trash Butler, a very kind of niche service for the apartment industry. But yes, it's an exciting time for us. It took us a, a long time to crack the $100 million mark and then just a couple of years to get to close to $300 million. So the momentum and the compound impact of the brand development is certainly real. And franchisees, they all make money. I'm sure they're all real happy. How's your item 20 look? Yes. Yeah, so item 19, which is the, the financial representation is very strong. Item 20 in terms of franchise satisfaction and retention is, is strong as well. Uh, it's been a journey. I mean, we've been very blessed to have really engaged, dynamic, and passionate franchise owners who care deeply about the culture and the values and the purpose that we emphasize in our organization.
organization. Uh, they care deeply about the employees who they hire and, and train and, and send out to do the, the heavy lifting in this business. And, and so we've been very aligned. It's not been an easy road. There's certainly ups and downs. There's another book that was influential to us called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. And in the book, he talks about for a very world-class successful team to thrive, they've got to have a foundation of trust. You've got to embrace healthy conflict and then commit to decisions, hold each other accountable, and then put results of the organization above individual egos or, or aspirations. And I think we've been able to do that. Our franchise owners have been able to do that with us. And, and because of that, we've been able to produce some very successful franchise owners, very financially independent and fulfilled, more importantly, franchise owners in our system. So we're going to want to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about the undercover boss and what impact that had on you in early days. I don't remember what year that episode was, but you were pretty gutsy on that program, as I remember. So we've actually been on two pretty meaningful television shows. We were actually on the very first episode of the very first season of Shark Tank back in 2009. And then more recently, actually this year, we were on the uh, first episode of the season of Undercover Boss. And both experiences were really powerful for the brand. Uh, Obviously, you're on a national stage or national platform when you're on national television like that. But it was also a really great opportunity for us to experience something we had never done before and also showcase our culture and our and our people at work. So the, the Shark Tank experience was unique because it was the first episode. We didn't know who these sharks were or that they were going to become TV celebrities. And then the other undercover boss experience was really much more meaningful because we got to go back to the front lines where we felt we had kind of become a little bit disconnected from. And we got to interact with frontline team members who, again, very passionate about the brand and for whatever reason, maybe had fallen on some hard times in in life. And we were able to give back to them at the end of the episode. And I get pretty emotional pretty easily. So I definitely cried on national television when we were revealing our our identities at the end of the show and and giving out the uh, awards to the the very deserving employees and team members. That's amazing that you were able to not once but twice. And I remember the, I was alluding to Shark Tank when I said you were pretty gutsy. I said undercover boss, but I meant Shark Tank. I just knew that you'd been on both. Yep. But I remember you were you were pretty well disciplined on the Shark Tank. I remember that episode from so many years ago, but you weren't yeah. afraid to, to grab money. You know, you weren't afraid to say no. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, was really, I thought he was like kind of poisoning the room. And I didn't know that that was his shtick, that that's kind of what he does like for, for television. Because again, it was the first episode. And so when he declared himself out, I think I said something like, well, that means you get to stop talking right. And it sounded, it came off kind of abrasive. What I meant to, what I meant by it was like, okay, that means the other sharks get to ask questions so that you stop kind of poisoning the room or, or making it seem like we're, we're not a good investment opportunity. So yes, uh, we, we did have to hold our own a little bit and, and go toe-to-toe with the sharks in, in that episode. So what about the day-to-day, Nick? You and Omar are each co-owners, but how do you delineate responsibilities and whose eyes on which ball? So we've evolved our role over the years, as you might imagine. And I would say we are both now what we call co-visionaries for the company. And so we both hold the accountability and responsibility of, of looking out into the future, helping to set the strategic direction of the organization, making sure that the values and the purpose of the organization are being upheld, hold our brand president, Roman Cowan, who we call our integrator, hold him accountable to the objectives of the organization and, and the metrics and then uh, really be a cheerleader and a brand ambassador. So doing things like we're doing here in this interview or going on Undercover Boss or or speaking at conferences to to talk about why our culture and our services is so unique uh, are things that we both participate in. Prior to that more recent evolution, I would say Omar was more focused in on the marketing and the technology and the call center side of our business. Uh, I've traditionally been more focused in on the franchise development 
the operations and the finance side of our business. So that's kind of where we gravitated towards. That's where our eyes were typically focused. And we still probably keep our eyes primarily in those areas from a delineation standpoint, but really kind of a shared obligation to the long-term preservation and growth of the brand to look out into the future collectively. Tell you what let's do, Nick. Let's take a quick break right here. And when we come back, I want to talk about your passion for veterans, an initiative that you and Omar have undertaken to award a franchise, a fee-free franchise to, I think, one veteran and maybe two more. But we'll get into all that and a whole lot more on the other side of a break. We're talking today with Nick Friedman. No relation to yours truly, except that we both have a lot of franchising in our blood and DNA. Nick is the co-founder of College Hunks Hauling Junk and Moving, and we'll be right back. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zor Forum, a somewhat similar type of executive group, but this one comes with a twist. Zor Forum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zor Forum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zor Forum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive sets, so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zor Forum. Learn more at zorforum.com. That's www.zorforum.com. And the conversation continues today with my namesake, Mr. Nick Friedman, co-founder of College Hunks Hauling Junk and Moving. And now, what is it, Trash Butler? Yes, Trash Butler. You got it. But that's non-franchise. So who operates that? piece of your business? So it is a, uh, it's all corporately operated. It's, it's more of kind of a hub and spoke model or, uh, you know, regional director model for the service because it's more of a B2B solution that we provide to apartment complexes. It, we investigated going down the franchise route and then ultimately decided that it was, it was better served because we've got clients kind of crossing over different territories and such. It, it made better sense to, to keep it all corporately operated. And this is picking up trash at the door for apartment dwellers? That is exactly what it is. You got it. It's a doorstep amenity solution where all the resident at the apartment has to do is put the trash in front of the door and then the butler takes it to the on-site compactor. So it's really a good fit for garden-style apartments or any apartment complex where there's a long walk to take out the trash. I once lived in an apartment complex that did not have this service and we had to put the trash on the hood of our car to drive it out to the dumpster. One time I think I put it in the trunk of my car and then forgot that I put it in the trunk and ended up driving around all day with a trash bag in my trunk, which certainly did not smell good at the end of the the hot Tampa summer. Summer day, but yeah. <laughs> so let's talk some about doing well by doing good, Nick, because I know that's part of your DNA always has been. Got a passion for veterans, and you're doing a lot more than most might with just offering a discount on a franchise to a veteran. 
Talk about this program that you and Omar have established. Yes. Yeah, so close to, I would say at least 20% of our system is veteran owned, veteran owned franchises. And we've got a large segment of our employment population that are veterans of the services as well. And so we see a great fit and alignment in the values and the work ethic and the uh, experience and training uh, that can then be applied into uh, the, the civilian business environment, such as college, hunks, hauling, junk, and moving. So what we did most recently is we set up a essentially a contest uh, or, or sweepstakes, if you will, for one deserving veteran to receive a free College Hunks franchise and then a deeply, deeply discounted franchise for the, the second and third place contestants in the process. And so something we just recently rolled out, we're very excited about it, hoping that it's going to generate significant interest and that that can also maybe be something we repeat or replicate in the future. And again, like you said, that's in addition to our already existing veteran franchise discount that we offer. And, you know, being a purpose-driven, socially conscious brand is something that we've always been passionate about. One of the mantras we said early on was, let's not chase the money, let's chase the mission. And probably easier to say in the early days because we weren't making any money. And so we needed something to keep us getting out of bed every day. And we continue to need that drive and motivation. So we've also set up a program where we donate two meals for every completed job to U.S. Hunger. And we've actually donated over 3 million meals since launching that program a couple years ago during the COVID period, we started offering free moves for survivors of domestic violence because we kept hearing about these horrific stories of basically people who were quarantining and stuck with their abusers. And we were wanting to make more availability for our trucks and labor to help people get out of those situations uh, that they might otherwise feel stuck in financially. So those are just a, a few of the examples that we've taken it upon ourselves to try to be able to give back. And we also donate or recycle over 70% of the items that we remove from the homes of the junk removal clients that we do work for as well. Mentioning the veterans, we did a, an episode of Military Makeover with Montel Jordan a couple years ago. Uh, I'm sorry, Montel Williams a couple years ago. And it was actually for the family of one of the security guards, former military personnel who had lost his life during the Parkland shooting when he was running and trying to save the students. And so we did a pro bono job for his widowed wife and special needs son. So that was a very emotional experience, as you might imagine, as well. So we, we definitely have a deep passion for our veterans and, and for giving back to the communities that we serve. You talked a lot about what Gerber meant to you in terms of scaling your business. Another thing that Gerber's always preaching about is transformation. And you don't just start a business to be mediocre. You start it to make a difference in the world. And it seems that you and Omar have done quite a bit of that and it's paid off. So let's kind of transform the conversation into the private equity that's just come into your life and talk about what that looked like and how it evolved. Yes. So about a year and a half ago, we brought in a minority partner, Susquehanna Private Capital out of Philadelphia. The decision to do so was not an easy one to make, but I think it was the right decision to make. We had been growing the business for a little over 15 years. We had just sort of navigated through a pandemic like the rest of the world had been navigating. And during the pandemic, one of the thoughts that I allowed to pop into my mind was, wow, you know, what happens if the business disappears tomorrow? Everything we've worked for will be gone. And that notion was a little bit scary. And, and we, we thought about the idea of bringing on a private equity partner as a manner of de-risking, I guess, our exposure. Having all of our eggs in the College Hunks basket was a little bit of a scary proposition. So we, we brought on this partner about a year and a half ago. We've been very happy with the decision. Obviously, the business has continued to perform greatly, but the, the partner has also brought some resources beyond just finances, but also strategic resources as well that have been very beneficial to us. So we've been happy with the decision. I know you sometimes you hear horror stories about taking private equity and in, investment and then being sort of stuck with a boss. 
cost. I will say our executive leadership team at College Hunks did a great job through the, and has continued to do a great job through that process to make sure we're providing the analytics and reports and spreadsheets that is really meaningful to the private equity groups. Because I know as a founder, that's not my or Omar's strong suit being able to punch out reports and provide board minutes and things of that nature. What would you say to this audience of emerging franchisors who still have the dream of one day attracting the eye of private equity? How do you go about this? Can you share some nuggets about what a franchisor should be looking at and thinking about? I think it's a lot like a franchise e-purchasing a franchise. Prospects are taking a look at you along with other brands when they're making decisions about acquiring a franchise, but each franchisor is looking back too, right? So what did you look for in a private equity partner? And did you just roll with the first opportunity or did you interview several others? No, we did a, a full process, competitive process, where we evaluated many different groups and many different offers. And my advice to an emerging or franchisor of any size really is to operate your business. Even if you don't have any intention of selling it or bringing on an investor, operate your business as if you're going to, because just like Michael Gerber says, operate your business as if you're going to franchise it, even if you're not going to franchise it, the value of your business and the way your business will function will be much more fluid and effective is if you build it as if you're going to sell it than if you just kind of build it with a bunch of spinning plates moving in every different direction. Because a sophisticated investor, like a private equity company or strategic partner, or what have you might call it, is going to be interested in the scalability of the business from a financial standpoint, but also the foundation of the business from a cultural standpoint and a value standpoint as well. And so I think that's some sound advice. And then also be patient because nothing happens overnight. It's never going to be perfect, but that's kind of where you want to strive to build it towards. Do you not look for more than just money too? What about the intellectual capital? You've actually made a point of suggesting that you're getting a lot more than capital from your partners. What else are they offering you? Absolutely. They're offering uh, strategic relationships, strategic counsel, insights, ideas, another sophisticated sounding board to evaluate opportunities or make sure that we're making the right priorities and objectives uh, for the short term and long term. So those are all really critical pieces of aligning with the right partners, not just getting the capital, but to your point, the intellectual capital and strategic relationships that will come with it as well. All good stuff, Nick. We're kind of at the point, Nick, where it's time for me to ask you if there's anything that I've not asked you that you wished I would. Well, yeah, you actually asked some really great questions along the lines of what advice would we give to franchisors? Question about private equity. I think another question that we get a lot is just advice in general. And similarly, I would say having that patience, patience for results, but also urgency of effort. I think having that sort of dual lever, recognizing that nothing is going to happen overnight. No success does uh, happen overnight, truly. And enjoy the journey. Be diligent about systems and getting the right people into your organization. And, and about the vision that you want to create. And uh, all of a sudden you'll look up 15, 20 years later and be like, oh, wow, we, we actually built something pretty cool, which is kind of what happened with us. While we were in the throes of it and the thick of it, I thought we would never see a light at the end of the tunnel, or I thought that we would never get to where we had hoped the business would get to when we first started. But here we are. And now it's just exciting because the momentum and the accelerated growth is much easier than it was in the early days. And so just stick to it and have persistence as you go along. So as a guy who's built all of this, but all also taking the time to become the father of four. What do you talk about when I ask about work-life balance? Ah, that's a great question. So I recently turned 40, just had our fourth child, and we've been very fortunate and blessed to be at a point in our business where I'm not having to be at the office 
or plugged in every single day, all day. And I have the opportunity to create some balance and spend some meaningful time with the wife and kids. And I think that is so important. I mean, look, I'm a lifelong learner just like anybody else. And I try to take wisdom and advice and and input from those who have been there before or who are older than I am. And some of the advice I've received is to not blink as the kids are growing up because it happens so fast. And my oldest is now seven. So it is happening in front of me before my eyes. And so I want to make sure that I don't look back 10, 20 years from now and feel like I missed out on some really meaningful experiences. And so I think being disciplined about the balance and when it's work time, I'm focused, I'm locked in, I'm working hard. But when it's family time, I'm trying to continue to remind myself, put the phone down, be present, spend some quality time with the family as well. All powerful stuff and great advice. And I appreciate you sharing it with the audience here on Franchise Today. Nick, what about some contact info for those who are going to want to get a second bite of the apple when they hear this interview and the passion that you've got for the business and for franchising? I know someone out there is going to want to chat with you. How do they find you again? Yeah, thanks. So connect with me personally. I, I've got a website, nickfriedman.com, spelled the same way as Stan spells his last name. So nickfriedman.com, you connect with me on all the social networks there, Instagram, LinkedIn, etc. You contact me on a contact form there as well. Obviously, if you want to learn about College Hunks Hauling Junk, it's just real simple, collegehunks.com. You can learn about the franchise opportunities. Obviously, if you ever need moving or, or junk removal services, you'll know who to call. And Effortless Entrepreneur is, is the book that we co-authored. And actually, Michael Gerber authored the foreword uh, of our book for us. I, I tracked him down at a, uh, at a conference that he was speaking at and kind of stalked him. And, and I asked him for a quote for the book and and he actually volunteered to write the foreword. So I thought that was really honorable and cool of him to do that. But I shared with him how influential he had been and his book had been in the, in the growth of our company. So I look forward to connecting with everybody and I appreciate you having me on. Well, this has been a real treat, Nick. I've enjoyed the conversation today. It went by really, really fast and look to get back into uh, another conversation with you that's not scrunched into a 30-minute podcast to learn the rest of the story. Nick Friedman, co-founder and visionary, College Hunks, Hauling Junk and Moving, and Trash Butlers. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Nick. Thanks, Dan. It was a great time. Appreciate it. Well, that's it for today. Join me again next Wednesday when Andrew McQuiston, president of Goldfish Swim Schools, is here to share yet another inspiring success story of franchising done right. Better still, why don't you subscribe to Franchise Today and never miss an episode? That way, each week when new interviews drop, your podcast app will deliver it directly to your smartphone or device automatically. So, no matter where you go to find us, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, simply subscribe and you'll be all set. And if you really want to show some love, you can share that link with your friends and peers and invite them to join us here each week as well. So until next time, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.